0: Well, good morning. It's great to see you all again here this morning and uh, congratulations, you've made it. You're in the fourth week of Song of Songs. that 's uh, a great thing to be uh, rejoicing over. Just as uh, by way of introduction this morning, I just want to, uh, you know, the journey we've been on has sometimes been a bit rocky, sometimes been a bit humorous. Uh, but I hope above all that the Spirit of God has grabbed the words of His Holy Word and transformed your heart and mind, especially in the area of uh, physical intimacy and how God has designed that to be beautiful, a beautiful expression of His creation. As we started the series, we talked about Genesis chapter 1. The man and woman became one flesh and they were not ashamed that's the true picture of what God created. Our world has distorted that. We as humans have distorted that because of our fallen state. But thankfully that in God's word, he has uphold or upheld a perfect example of what that can look like. And that's what we see in the in the Song of Songs. In the first uh, week, we had a general introduction. In the second week, we, we looked at the first... Uh, Three plus chapters and it probably could be summarized in the very first verse of the song Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine It was this overwhelming sense of two young lovers enraptured in the courtship process And they were pouring out their hearts And inside these chapters you have some songs of yearning, lovesickness Arrival. Admiration. And uh, some warnings also through that process. Do not awaken love too early. Do not go down that path and track. And last week we, we looked at the the bride and groom moving towards the honeymoon. And the whole admiration and tension and... And it uh, was being built as, as they moved towards the honeymoon. And it was interesting because this week uh, I was listening to some music and, and some of the, the favourite songs of uh, my daughters. Because you know, I'm now living in a house with all daughters and a lovely wife and a female dog. I, I, I don't have any testosterone fixes often. You know, Jason came around the other day, so that was great. And, and Brett comes around, and around occasionally. And, but, you know, I'm in this new environment. It's, it's unheard of for me. And so you get to listen to music on the side and you think, oh, what's that really saying? But I reckon Nora Jones was influenced by the Song of Songs. I really do reckon Nora Jones was influenced by this um, moving towards the honeymoon because she, she wrote this song, that says, Come away with me in the night. Come away with me. And I'll write you a song. Come away with me on a bus, come away where they can't tempt us with their lies. I want to walk with you on a cloudy day in the fields where the yellow grass grows knee high. So why don't you try to come? Come away with me and we'll kiss on a mountain top. Come away with me and I'll never stop loving you. Man, that's almost like a song of songs, isn't it? But this is the nature of love. And uh as we've read through last week, we, we got to that point and uh, the marriage was consummated in a beautiful way. Not in the way the world portrays it. Not in a way that's dirty or or vile, but in a beautiful way. And that's where we ended last week. So this week we're now going to look at the... The balance of the song. We're going to read the rest of it. So that's going to take us five or six minutes. So if those guys are going to read it with me, would like to come up, that's great. And um, we're going to look as the relationship is now a marriage relationship and the difficulties in growth and intimacy. The song is wonderful and it actually addresses real issues. And uh, that's what we'll have... uh, it's been most of our time looking at this morning. So as we have been doing, we're going to read this in parts. We're not going to sing it. So we have the wonderful lady. We have the man. And we have the daughters of Jerusalem. <laughs> About a chorus. Now, Brett, come back. You're a daughter of Jerusalem just for this part, okay? So there we go. You me to share my group. <laughs> so um, if you'd like to turn to uh, Song of Songs chapter 5 we're going to be reading from verse 2 and we're going to read all the way through to the end of 8 so there's three chapters here, bear with us now just a, a little bit of a warning just like the song is a growth in intimacy so is the language so please if one of us laugh don't take offence to that because some of this poetic language is yeah, you'll see as we go through it. But as we're not meant to offend here. We're just reading it as it is. Let God's word take care of itself.
1: I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved, is knocking.
0: Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night.
1: I had put off my garment, how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet, how could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him, I am sick with love.
0: What What is your your beloved beloved? more More than another another beloved, beloved. O most beautiful among women?
1: What What is is your beloved? beloved? more than, than another, another, beloved,
0: beloved that, that you thus, thus adjure us.
1: My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among ten thousand. His head is the finest gold, his locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns, set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved. And this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Where has
0: your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned, that we may seek him with you?
1: My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies.
0: You are beautiful as tis my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes, they have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins, not one among them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranate behind your veil. There are sixty queens and eighty concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. The young woman saw her and called her blessed, the queens and concubines also, and they praised her. Who is is this who who looks looks down down like the dawn, dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as as the sun, sun, awesome as an an army with army with with banners?
1: I went down to the nut orchard to look at the blossoms of the valley to see whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I was aware, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsman, a prince. Return return, 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 O Shulamite,
0: return, 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 return that, we that we may, may look, look upon you. you. Why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance before two armies? How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O oh noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are just like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools and heshbon by the gates of Bathrabin. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel. And your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in, the, in these treaties. How beautiful and pleasant are you, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine.
1: It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over his lips and teeth. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the great blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O oh my beloved. O oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I found you outside, I would kiss you, and none would despise me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Who Who is that coming up
0: from the wilderness, wilderness, leaning on on her beloved?
1: Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. We We have have a a little little sister,
0: and she she has has no breasts. breasts. What What shall shall we we do do for our sister, sister on on the the day day when she she is spoken for? If if she is a wall, we will will build build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will will enclose her with boards of cedar.
1: I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He led out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand, and the keepers of the fruit two hundred.
0: O you who dwell in the gardens, with companions listening to your voice, let me hear it.
1: Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices.
0: Interesting poetry, isn't it? Interesting but wonderful poetry inspired by God's Spirit as it delves into the depth of intimacy between two lovers. This is a poem that, uh, as we've gone through the whole song, is growing in intimacy. We started the, this portion in chapter 5 and and it's a real-life type event because we have a scene here. Chapter 5, verse 2, we have the woman who's sleeping and in her sleep and, and then the man comes in and, and uh, compliments her immensely. And this is the, probably the largest compliment by the man in the whole song. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. It's the most elaborate collection of terms for affection found anywhere in the psalm. It's interesting, isn't it, because he makes this elaborate appeal to to his wife, and uh, the answer is an answer of indifference. Look, I've already put my garment on. How could, or I've already taken my garment off. How could I put it on? I've bathed my feet. How could I soil them? So it's an indifference in relation to, to the man's intentions. And this indifference becomes a, a threat to their Intimacy. It seems here that the lady tends to put her own convenience ahead of her beloved. And uh, in modern terms, darling, I've got a headache. So what's happening here? Just go away. And that's what is happening here. And then we have this, this scene where the woman realizes oh my beloved is there he's knocking at the door but now he's gone where is he gone and i reckon there's a some major things we can learn from this there's how how do we resolve conflict because folks if you're not married here and you're looking to marriage to resolve all conflicts, I've got to tell you that's not the place to look for it. Because when you become one and when you wrestle with that issue of becoming one, conflicts are more likely to spring up. Ask any married person here. And uh, the issue is, how do we respond to conflict in a godly way? Is the man's response godly? He flees the situation. He says, I'm out of here. That's not a godly response. Is the woman's response to his advance a godly response? Well, if you go to the New Testament, you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it talks about the the boundaries for physical intimacy within marriage. Let's just turn there briefly, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3, the husband should give to his wife her congenial rights and likewise the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does, likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body but the wife does. Five, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So when it comes to physical intimacy, the New Testament gives us some instruction as well. If you're in a marriage relationship, physical intimacy is a good thing and do not deprive one another of that. And I reckon that probably... Yeah, according to 1 Corinthians 7, that there's probably far too much prayer going on. Here it says it talks about, you know, don't deprive yourself except for prayer. And um, this wonderful gift of God and uh, of oneness should be shared frequently according to 1 Corinthians 7. And by mutuality, it's not a self-centered, self-seeking thing. It's a communication between husband and wife. Back to the uh, back to the text in Song of Songs, we we have this conflict that's arisen. He has fled. She has uh, wants to pursue. Uh, the whole verse seven about watchmen. I don't understand it. So you can have a look at that yourself I, I think this is just her imagining things I don't think it's a physical she's walking through the streets looking for her beloved there were three actions by the watchman they they beat her, bruised her and her veil was removed um, I don't really know how to interpret that first I don't know what's going on here so I'll leave that up to yourselves to have a look at but The thing here is that Shulamite turns to the daughters of Jerusalem, to the chorus, if you like, and says, can you help me find my beloved? I'm in conflict and I need to find him. I'm I'm sick with love. And then they ask a question, well, why is he so special? And then she bursts forth with this song of admiration. And it's very similar to other admiration songs. She she talks about her man. His body is polished ivory. Yeah, folks, that means he's got a six-pack. All right? His arms are rods of gold. His legs are alabaster columns. I have no idea what that means. I have, I've never seen an alabaster column. I do not know what that is like. But I think what she is saying the descriptive term she's using as a terms of great value. She's saying, I value him greatly. I know I'm in conflict with him, but I value him and I esteem him. And she tells the daughters of Jerusalem, he is not just my lover, but he is my friend. And that's how intimacy develops and grows she realises what I've done is not right and I need to solve the conflict you see when mistakes are made in love they must be faced honestly go to any marriage course go to the one that we're running here in July and you'll see one of the primary things in developing relationship is what communication. Talking to one another. When marriages start going south, when relationships start breaking down, it's just not a marriage relationship. Any relationship. What is normally the core is firstly that it's your own selfish desires. James one or James four talks about that. But secondly, there's just a total lack of communication. You think about that in a work situation, if you have a a uh, issue that you're dealing with in the work situation when it be, escalates to a conflict, what is happening? generally a lack of communication has occurred and see ungodly responses are two there are two ungodly responses one we see here the husband flee to flee or flight is not a godly response it's not a way to deal with conflict if if and Characters are different. You know, I look at my family, I have people who deal with conflict when they flee and I have people that deal with conflict when they fight. That's the Irishness. And, yes, so you are talking about, yeah, that's the Irish. Uh, the more gentle English tend to flee. But neither of those responses are right. Because they're not dealing with the issue. So when it comes to reconciliation, when it comes to dealing with conflict, there are things that need to be placed down. And and some of these things, though, we must be quick to swallow our own pride. Number one, you know, you go back to James chapter 4, and uh, it is so instructive in this whole area. So instructive when it talks about conflict. It's interesting because James four one is in the midst of a, a, a structure and we, we talked about this when we did the book of James. Verse 17 of chapter 3 says this, but, let, but the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and insincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's the heart of a peacemaker. And folks, If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you need the heart of a peacemaker. Why? Because the fruit of spirit is in your life. We shouldn't be antagonists. We shouldn't be agitators. Our call as followers of Christ are to be peacemakers, according to James, according to other scriptures. But then he is very insightful and he says, well, this is what happens. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Question mark. Is it not this? Your own passions are at war within you. That's it, flat out. Conflicts are normally about our passions, our desires, trying to impose them on somebody else. As opposed to, as followers of Christ, going after a harvest of righteousness and a harvest of peace. Back to the song of songs. So in this situation, also remember that this intimacy that's been developing has been derailed by poor decisions that lead to painful consequences. That's the picture we get in these. Now I just want to do a little bit of a sideline just for a few minutes to talk about our role as followers of Christ and how we deal with conflict. I've said that, you know, to flee or to fight are not good ways of doing it. I want to give you four principles that may help with conflict. And we all are involved in conflicts at some point in time. If you're a follower of Christ, these four principles are very helpful. Do you glorify God in your conflict? Principle number one. Romans twelve seventeen to 21 talks about this. Romans 12, verse 17 says, Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will be burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Boy, they're tough things, aren't they, when you're in conflict, when you think about that? They're tough. So to glorify God, instead of focusing on our own desires or dwelling on what others may do, we will rejoice in the Lord and bring him praise by depending on the things the Lord has given us. He has given us forgiveness. He has given us wisdom. He has given us power and love. And we should seek faithfully to obey his commands and maintain a loving, merciful, and forgiving attitude. That's the heart. That's being gospel-centered. That's being gospel people. It's not fleeing or fighting, but it's taking the thing head on and and working through the conflict with the position that I'm going to glorify God in this because he has forgiven me, I have much to forgive. Men and women, we need that hard in our conflicts because that's the gospel shaping us. It's not about our desires, it's about glorifying God through the process. Second principle about joy with conflict Get the log out of your own eye. Matthew talks about that, the Sermon on the Mount. Amazing principle when you're in a conflict to actually remove the stuff that you're seeing, being critical on, showing in a judgmental sense. Matthew 18 talks about gently restoring, the third principle of resolving a conflict. And the fourth principle is be active in it. Go and be reconciled. Actively pursue genuine peace and reconciliation. Matthew 5, and 24 talks about that. I'll just read these verses to you. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, so remember that you're if, if you're here praising and worshiping, and you remember that oh, I've got unresolved conflict with X, Y, and Z. The Lord instructs us in the sermons leave your gift before the older and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Simple biblical principle. Go and be reconciled. Actively pursue genuine peace and reconciliation. You know, the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Same principle. So that's just a bit of a sideline on how to give you a framework to how to deal with conflict. Along with that, there are four principles for forgiveness, which I think are worth noting. I've used these in my own life, and I find them helpful. I don't find them easy. I've got to ask the Spirit of God to actually impart them upon my own heart because that's the only way genuine forgiveness actually occurs. It's based on Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. Forgive others as as I forgive them. It's based on Ephesians 4.32. And these four principles of forgiveness are important. First one is, I will not dwell on this incident. If you're in a conflict and you are truly seeking forgiveness, don't dwell on the incident. Why? Does gospel send to people, does Christ dwell on your sin? He doesn't, does he? When you put your faith and trust in Christ, what's his promise to you? I'll remember your sins no more. I will remove them. Same applies to us when we're forgiving a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Don't dwell on the incident. The second one is don't become historical. Okay. So when you get into a conflict a little bit later, don't bring up the incident again and use it against somebody. That's not peacemaking, that's peace faking. If you're determined to forgive somebody, you you forgive them the whole nine yards and say, no, I will not hold this against you. I seek the power of God's spirit to enable me to do that because you can't do that in your flesh. Third, I won't talk about this incident to others. So if you have an interpersonal conflict with somebody, one of the most divisive things that can happen is that you start gossiping about it and saying, did you know, did you know, did you know? That can happen beyond family circles. It can also happen within families. And you know what? It will rip you apart. That's not what gospel-centered forgiveness is about. And fourthly, never allow the incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. See, when we blow it, in a sense with God, that never stands between us, does it? God is always forgiving. And it's the same when we choose to forgive others. Hope that's helpful. Because the song comes into conflict and it's one of the most common things that happens in a a marriage relationship. There will be conflict. In this particular instance, it was conflict over... Physical intimacy. The response was incorrect, but the reconciliation starts to take place in the balance of the song. I'm just briefly going to talk about that. So, what happens? The bride searches, admires, testifies to the doors of Jerusalem. Oh, he is just wonderful. And in chapter 6, verse 2, she talks about, well, my beloved and myself, we're together again. He's in my garden. We know that the metaphor of garden throughout the Song of Songs relates to her physical beauty and body. And she, the refrain is, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. He's enjoying, we're enjoying our mutual intimacy. And then... The man's just overwhelmed and he goes into another admiration song, chapter 6, 4 to 9. Very similar to the admiration song that previously he had in chapter 5. He likens it to the two most beautiful cities of the day. He does the old flock of goats and the ewe thing. He talks about pomegranates. Uh, That my dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of a mother, pure to all who see her. So he admires her. She admires him. He admires her. There's this growth and intimacy. And then they end up down in the nut orchard. That's not the nut farm, it's the nut orchard. And. There's just this mutual desire for one another that becomes fulfilled. You know, there's a questions and answers going through this. There's acceptance of invitations, and the doors of Jerusalem cry out, "Return to us! Return to us! Return to your old lifestyle! Come and be one of us, O Shulamite!" And then in chapter 7, the the male says, no, it's another admiration song. And it's a reverse admiration song. This time it goes from the feet to the head. while well, other admiration songs have gone from the head to the feet. And it gets a, a more in depth, more intimate. I'll let you read that. But at the end of this, Chapter 7, verses uh, 7 to 9, you can't help but notice what the meaning of these metaphors are. The meanings of the metaphors are that they will be delighted in one another with their lovemaking. And that's a good thing, because that's from God. And then in uh, the end of chapter 7, we get introduced to the kiss again and just this whole start of verse 8. And this this mutual intimacy that is developing. I think one of the keys in chapter 8 is uh, found in 5, 6 and 5 through to 7. Verses 5 through to 7 where she says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death, jealousy as fierce as the grave, or probably a better translation is passion as fierce as the grave. It flashes as flashes of fire. It's a blazing flame. Many waters cannot quench it. They're talking about the power of love. I reckon Johnny Cash was probably reading this when he wrote A Burning Ring of Fire, because he... um, He stated, love is a burning thing and it makes a fiery ring bound by wild desire. I fell into a ring of fire. The taste of love is sweet when hearts like ours are meet. I fell for you like a child. Oh, but the fire went wild. And this is a similar sort of thing that's going on here. There's this mutual, eternal thing of love. And the devotion is unbreakable. And it's flourishing. And that's the way it's designed. It's the way God designed it. To grow in intimacy. And in the balance of the chapter, you have probably for the first time the the daughters of Jerusalem have heeded the warning. Do not awaken love. And they they have this verse 8 and 9 just talking about Okay, we will protect our virginity. We will protect our chastity. And then the woman says, well, I'm now just enraptured. The man says, I'm even more enraptured. And then she says, no, I'm the most enraptured. And that's the way the song ends. There's this development of intimacy. And this freedom to just enjoy one another. That's wonderful. So, what do we learn from the Song of Songs? What do we learn? We learn that God has given a wonderful gift for all of humanity to be expressed in the physical union between a man and a woman. We learn that physical love is good and is to be celebrated in the bonds of marriage. We learn that intimacy is something that grows. It's something that needs to be worked out. It's something that does, doesn't happen like that. It takes time and effort, and inside that there'll be conflict. You now, wisdom from the song is instruction about chastity, intimacy, and resolving conflict. Just want to leave you with this quote before we just do a final couple of verses. The song, I believe, is about God's design for the delight of physical unity as a profound part of the richness of a marriage relationship. The overarching theme of the song is intimacy and its development with a loving relationship. Intimacy speaks of the drawing together of two people into a closeness that entails emotional, psychological and physical dimensions. This song demonstrates love as God designed it to be exclusive and mutual. It can also be viewed as a pointer to the inestimable quality of the love that God has for us, his people. In that case, I just want to move to Ephesians chapter 5 and leave you with this application. I'm not advertising the text here. I'm just saying this is the principle, one of the principles that we can draw from the Song of Songs in a New Testament context. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'll read that again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians is a wonderful little book. At the back end of Ephesians, after he has talked about wonderful theology and our relationship with Christ, for he talks about we were dead in our sins, but we can be made alive through Christ. And that's a fundamental principle for our relationships and our marriages to be as God designed it. We need to be serving the same master and the same master as Christ Jesus. And then he uses this term walk. It's a beautiful Greek term, and it talks about this is how you conduct your life. This is how you behave. This is a habit of your conduct. And if you look through Ephesians, it happens numerous times. In one it says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In 4.17, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In one, walk in love. In 5.8, walk as children of light. In 5.15, look carefully at how you walk. It's a major verb he's using here. And this, in light of what we've done in the song, is powerful. Because this relates to all of us. As we walk our Christian lives, let's walk in love. And who is our example? Christ. So when you're in conflict, how do you resolve that conflict? As Christ would resolve conflict. Sacrificially. As you grow in intimacy in your marriage, how do you grow in intimacy in your marriage? You first and fundamentally understand your vertical relationship with Christ and how that impacts your horizontal relationship, and it is important. And you seek the Spirit's help. Help to walk in love as Christ loved us. Cuts both ways. So as we've worked through this song, I pray you have a fresh appreciation for the way God designed love and mutual intimacy. I pray that as we read these last few verses about walking in love as Christ loved, that that will give you a fresh appreciation of our role in the society. If you don't know the love of Christ, I'd love to chat to you. Christ's love frees us. Christ's love removes us from the baggage of this world and focuses on a divine piece of grace That is amazing. So welcome to talk to you afterwards about that. That would be wonderful. I'm going to invite the music team to uh, come up and we'll sing our closing song.